Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hello, teacher friends. And Lori, hi, how are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you, Melissa? Pretty good, pretty good. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about building knowledge through content-rich nonfiction, which, like, why, right? <laughs> that's a, that sounds really random, Melissa. Where did that come from? Um, so we were thinking about Wit and Wisdom, the curriculum that we've adopted this year, and that's just been a big thing this year is this building knowledge. And Lori and I were just thinking, like, where did that come from? Like, why is that all of a sudden the thing? You know, things just become, like, the thing. In education. And, yeah, yes. in education. Yes. This seems like the thing this year, but why? Um, so a couple of things I, well, the main thing that I went back and thought about that actually Lori made me go back and think about was <laughs> um, the three shifts the three big shifts when Common Core came um, in ELA that I don't think I've looked at personally in, honestly, don't tell anybody, but years. Because <laughs> we've just gotten into the actual standards, right? Yeah. So we're down in the standards and, you know, what what is it, what are we seeing in lessons and what's being assessed? But I haven't, like, backed up to look at those shifts in a really long time. And when Lori made me do it. <laughs> Not You're welcome. Me, but she reminded me that they exist, first of all. Um, when I looked back at them, I was like, oh, we've done, we've done a lot of these things, right? We've talked as a district about text complexity. That's been really important. We've talked about using evidence when they're writing, when they're talking. Um, we've talked about that. But the last one, again, is building knowledge through content-rich nonfiction. And although we've talked about having more nonfiction, we have not really talked about building knowledge and what that means. Which is so interesting because it's the very first part and it's underlined. It is underlined, right? <laughs> I know. I didn't even realize that. It's, it's, not, it's not just the nonfiction part, but it's that building knowledge. I think because it's the least tangible mm -hmm. of all of the parts. Yeah. What does it mean and what does it look like? Yeah. And so... You know, when we think about wit and wisdom, it really does mean those text sets um, and that balance of, of informational and literary text to build knowledge on a topic so that students have vocabulary and they have topical knowledge so that they can um, really build their, their own personal knowledge and own that. Um, and you'll hear Sarah today, our, our special guest, she talks about how that helps students spur their curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's just such a, a cool thought, thinking about wit and wisdom, that it helps students spur their curiosity to foster that love of reading and that they just have a, like a fire in their belly for it. So yeah. that's, you know, that's what I think that when we say building knowledge, yes, it means tech sets, yes, it means the balance, but it also, we can't forget about our kids and having them build that, fire in their belly, that, that want, that hunger for, for knowledge. And when we think about kiddos, how engaging is outer space? How engaging um, is baseball and the history of baseball? Like they just, they just eat topics up. 
So yep. we, we have to keep feeding them. <laughs> yeah. And Lori, you have some research there too, right? That's not only about just building that curiosity, but also if we build their knowledge, they become better readers. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I have two specific studies, um, or I'm sorry, two specific articles. Uh, one is very popularly known as the baseball study. Um, but the actual article is entitled The Effect of Prior Knowledge on Good and Poor Readers' Memory of Text. Um, this, this quote here that I'm going to read says that students who usually struggle with reading can outperform those who usually score high if they possess more knowledge of a text's topic. And so that just means that students need to build their topic-focused vocabulary and background knowledge so that they can increase their comprehension, right? It makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Yeah. It makes I'm, a ton of sense. We'll talk later about yoga. <laughs> yes, Melissa knows a lot about it. I don't know a lot about it. <laughs> if given an article... She will be the, the one with the content knowledge <laughs> who can fly through that article. <laughs> um, and then the, the other one that I want to share here is uh, Advancing Our Students' Language and Literacy and uh, by Marilyn Yeager Adams. And it says, students acquire vocabulary much faster when reading numerous texts focused on one topic rather than a collection on scattered topics. In an effect known as bootstrapping, Reading increasingly complex texts focusing on a single topic allows students to access texts above their typical independent reading level by expanding relevant background knowledge and vocabulary. So students need those knowledge experiences, right, to not only develop reading skill, but to transfer the skills into new contexts. And I think you'll see later in the podcast about how we talk about um, that kind of falling into place in content classes so, for example, in social studies and in science, um, you know, it doesn't really matter if at the same time we're all teaching about, you know, if a wit and wisdom unit is talking about um, World War One, that also in social studies we're learning about World War One. It's meant to be like a backpack of knowledge, and you just keep that knowledge with you and take it out when you need it. So, um, you know, we just thought that we wanted to really bring the research into it so that you knew the why behind it. Yeah. Um, before we launched into our, our podcast today. And connecting that to the shift of the building con- knowledge through content-rich nonfiction, that nonfiction, what texts they are, really matters. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we'll hear Sarah talk about today, is those texts and how they were chosen for this, the Wit and Wisdom models was done very purposefully yep. in order to, do, to build the knowledge. Yeah, thank you. So... To get ready for our interview today, Sarah Watered uh, was, is with us from Wit and Wisdom, and we were so excited to have her with us. She is going to talk about why Shift 3 is important, why is building knowledge important. She's going to connect where and how it happens in the Wit and Wisdom curriculum, and then what does this mean for teachers and students. So get ready for a really exciting podcast today. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here with us today. We are so excited to have you. Can you just briefly introduce yourself? Yes, I am so excited to be with you both, Melissa and Lori. Um, My name is Sarah Woodard, and I am the Assistant Director of Partnerships for the Humanities Team at Great Minds. And what that means is that I work with district partners like BCPS and partners all across the country to make sure that they know about wit and wisdom, our knowledge building curriculum that we're so excited about for grades kindergarten through eighth grade, and that partners have what they need 
um, so that they're successful in implementing it. Awesome. Well, thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. So we have been talking a lot about um, this idea of building knowledge and how we talk a lot in our district about the different shifts, the common core shifts, but until we adopted wit and wisdom, building knowledge was not one of the main things we focused on. Um, Mm -hmm. So we wanted you to talk a little bit today about why you believe this knowledge building is so important. Yes, and um, to be honest with you, when I was a teacher, I didn't really understand why building knowledge really strategically was so helpful to students. And the the research tells us that students who know more about a topic are actually more successful in terms of writing about that topic or um, being successful on a standardized test. So that's important. And what's really cool, too, is that um, we share a dream for all of our students to be lifelong readers, loving to read. And when students know something about the digestive system or know something about World War II and all the different groups in America who are fighting on behalf of America, um, then they get curious and they want to know more. And they ask questions in social studies or ask questions in science class. And so this love of learning can be sparked. And so I think that's the fundamental reason why building knowledge is so important. Um, Does that answer your question? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So thinking about shift three specifically, and when we think about the wording in it, Millis and I were talking about this before we called you, um, building knowledge through content-rich nonfiction. And in the description, in the shift, right, it has, Um, noted specifically a 50-50 balance of text. And Mm -hmm. so we felt like that prior to the implementation of Wit and Wisdom in our district, everyone just focused on that, right? That little phrase, um, not the building knowledge part. And Mm -hmm. we were speaking about it and thinking maybe it's because that was the the more tangible part to grab onto um, in that specific shift. So when you think about the building knowledge piece, how do you think that um, teachers and, you know, school leaders could better understand what that means? Building knowledge. Yes. Something I think, something I think a lot about is the power of reading text in a thoughtful order in order to build knowledge and let students discover how that knowledge connects. Um, So I think about um, grade eight has a module about love, which is a completely um, a topic that a lot of eighth graders love to talk about. Oh, yeah. We love that. We love it. That module. (laughs) And if you ever get a chance to see eighth graders in some of those Socratic seminars, it is amazing because they are debating you know, which characters were in love, you know, how much does love last? Is it fleeting or is it not? Um, And they're not discussing these questions just based on their opinion. What What they're using to discuss is actual informational text about how the brain works when it's in love and, um, how, these characters in A Midsummer Night's Dream, yeah, they read Shakespeare in eighth grade and they can do it, 
and they're discussing how these characters, um, you know, can they be responsible for their actions or is this just their brain on love? And so, again, I think a lot about, like, the joy of reading and how, yes, we want students to know a lot about the world and we want them to be curious and lifelong learners. And so when you have a student who can consult a scientific article about all the neurobiology in the brain and then say, and I think that's what was going on with this character in this Shakespeare play, you know, it was pretty powerful. So it's, it's that really thoughtful pairing of informational and literary text in a way that allows students to discover how one of those texts can help them better understand the other. And then they also have something really important to say about a weighty topic. And again, we've all seen people in love act a little crazy. It's nice to know why that might be. Yep. <laughs> Thank you for that. And we personally, <laughs> Melissa and I, were just talking about that before uh, we called you because we saw that example. I saw that example in a classroom, and I, we were just talking about how engaging that specific module is for students and how hooked into it they are. So how that set of text really not only built their experience, like, you know, excitement for learning, but really that, like that you just said, the love for reading and they were so mm -hmm. invested in that brain article and it was so much fun to watch them have conversations about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I have, a, I have a question for you about, not necessarily about some, one of the modules like that one, but I'm thinking of a lot of them that revolve around like social studies topics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. So, you know, more like history. And I, just some, like, yep. things I've heard along the way are things like, oh, well, now I'm the history teacher or I'm taking away my social studies time because we do it in the wit and wisdom, so there's no need to. Or um, why doesn't it match with what they're doing, right? So if, if they learn about the revolution or they're reading about the Revolutionary War yeah. in fifth grade, but they don't do that in social studies, that's seen as a problem. Um, just wondering about, I have thoughts on that. <laughs> um, yeah. Wondering yours first, and then we can see where we, where we land. <laughs> yes. I, I love that. Um, it's a good question because when we do talk about building knowledge, often we are building knowledge about, you know, the American Revolution, the American Civil War, uh, World War II, and America's involvement in it. Um, I was just talking with a group of teachers about um, the first module of grade six, which is all about um, persevering in times of hardship. And um, mm -hmm. we have students read two novels, Out of the Dust by Karen Hesse and Bud Not Buddy by Christopher Paul Curtis. And both of those novels feature adolescent protagonists. So the main character is a really relatable person to sixth graders. And they're living during the Great Depression, and they're also having these adventures and misadventures and going through some really painful things and some really triumphant um, elements of their life. And um, it's really important to understand the Great Depression as the setting for what each of those characters is going through. So that's where that building knowledge about history really is impactful, right? Like, then you get why when... Um, you know, the main character in Out of the Dust when, well, I don't want to wreck anything, but, oh, it's so <laughs> tempting to talk about the novels. Um, spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Um, the well, we're hoping that you guys have read these. <laughs> that's true. We are past module one. That's true. Okay. Okay, then I feel less guilty. But, um, or I'll say it this way, uh, the, the adolescent girl in Out of the Dust, she experiences a really significant loss of a member of her family 
And um, her dad has a really strong reaction to that. And that's in part because he was already feeling really like he couldn't take care of his family because of everything that was happening in the depression. So um, really history and science learning becomes this opportunity to better understand the literary pieces. And also as one of my um, trusted colleagues, Lorraine Griffith has said, Sometimes the, the most truthful um, themes or theses come out of fiction because those mm-hmm. writers have a chance to really share something that's true about the human experience. So yeah. it's kind of an interplay. Yeah, what, what were you thinking, Melissa? Um, yeah, I hadn't thought about it quite like that, but I like that. Um, I think I was thinking of it sort of, I think we – Oftentimes in schools, they're asking the social studies teachers, science teachers, not just asking, but the Common Core Standards, you know, ask them to um, incorporate literacy into their classes. And I saw mm-hmm. this as sort of like a, you know, lending it the, the other way, like coming the other way too. <laughs> like, yes, you, you bring literacy into your class, but we're also going to bring some of this like content knowledge into ours. And that mm-hmm. it wasn't teaching that content knowledge deeply, which I think is similar to what you were saying, um, but mm-hmm. I like that you were saying that it makes it more relatable, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. I sort of saw it as, you know, if they are reading about the Great Depression in sixth grade, I don't know when they learned about the Great Depression in social studies, to be perfectly honest, but mm-hmm. if they have learned about it before, I think it's a chance for them to kind of, you know, read about it in a different way and relate in a different way, or if they yep. haven't learned about it, when they eventually do learn about it in social studies, they have something to then bring to the table, you know, and, and somewhere to stick that knowledge because they've already read something about it. So to me, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't, I never see it as it has to be taught at the same time. I think it kind of is great that it would come back again at some point in their lives. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, um, I think that using the text to hook kids into that, reading. I know Sarah had mentioned that. And, and then it doesn't matter when they're mm-hmm. acquiring that information because we want them to build that content knowledge and vocabulary knowledge so that it sticks with them. Yep. And so whether they're, you know, reading All Quiet in the Western Front in eighth grade and then encountering that historical piece in ninth grade, they're going to know about it. That's great prep. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, if they say they encountered that in social studies in sixth grade, and then they're continuing that knowledge build right. through that core text in eighth grade. That's incredible. So it's like, to me, it's like, um, and this is the best way I could describe it. I was thinking about a two-lane highway. And um, instead, it's not like social studies is on one side, ELA <laughs> is on the other, and we're both going opposite directions, and you cannot pass, you know, obviously you can't pass. It's a, it's a straight yellow line in the middle. Um, but really instead, the way that, that we are advocating for that knowledge build in shift three is that we are in on that two-lane highway and there's a yellow dotted line in the middle and we can pass and we're all moving in the same direction, right? It's fluid. Mm-hmm. We're, we're building knowledge together and it doesn't matter where it's happening in the actual space of school. So that's, I mean, I just feel I like love that's that. the most impactful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> what I think... Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I love that. I'm, you're making me think in a different way because it reminds me of what I've heard from some teachers out in the field um, who get so excited 
when a student shows up in, you know, ELA class and is weaving in something they have learned in social studies or science class into um, the conversation in ELA and vice versa. And sometimes these teachers will even co-plan or, you know, connect with the teachers in other subject areas and say, hey, how can we make our units parallel? Um, and so there can be really exciting opportunity to connect for students across the disciplines. But um, you're absolutely right. I think nothing makes a student feel, you know, more empowered and more like they're really, you know, they belong in that classroom if they can say, hey, I learned a little bit about the Great Depression in grade six. And so in grade seven, eight beyond, I can apply that in my history class, in my social studies class. Mm -hmm. Do you have any favorite, and this is off the cuff because we didn't prepare this one ahead of time, but I'm just <laughs> thinking of it. Do you have any favorite uh, modules where, you're, where you really feel like the, the set of texts is just exceptional and it speaks to you? So this is a very personal mm -hmm. question. You know, just you thinking about the scope of K-8 like, what, where is, like, yep. your favorite piece and why? Yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's hard to pick one, obviously. Um, so can I give two answers? I'll give you my number you one, and then I'll share number two. tons of time, Sarah. Go for it. <laughs> also, I could talk about I, – I tell folks when I'm out in the field, I learn something from literally every single Witten Wisdom module, including grade K. I'm like, oh, uh -huh. I have no idea that that's where the CH sound you know, that it showed up and it made that, it had that effect on the reader, like mind blowing. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so I think I have to go with, and I was referring to this a little bit before, um, grade four, module two, extreme settings. Um, this was absolutely in collaboration with a colleague walking me through the vision for this module. Um, but the fact that students read Seymour Simon's book on mountains and they understand how temperature fluctuations and like climate and weather and all of these science terms that honestly I didn't always pay attention to really do um, give you a kind of a framework for understanding what life on the top of a mountain is like, coupled mm -hmm. with this novel, um, Hatchet, again, this is a spoiler, but I think people will forgive me, but um, Brian... <laughs> This like ten year old kid, he went. He's solo. His plane crashes. He is uh -huh. on this mountain by himself, and and then this is where I think Whitney was in like the special sauce comes in. So students are reading about Brian's experience. They've learned about mountains, and then they come to see how Brian uncovers this internal strength that he never would have found had he not gone through this really hard experience. And, mm -hmm. and that's where I get the goosebumps, right? I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, perseverance <laughs> through hardship is, like, actually, it can end up being a really big benefit in your life. And, you know, as an adult, I'm always thinking, okay, this terrible thing is happening in my community or in the world. Like, what if I use that as an opportunity to, like, grow or do something positive? And, um, yeah, so that module really got into my bones. I thought it was really, really cool. Oh, I love that. And we, we were sitting here mouthing to each other, we love Hatchet. Yes. <laughs> so good. It makes me not want to fly in one of those little planes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, I know. Yes. Um, do, do you have a, did you have a second example yes. that you wanted to share? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Yes. 
Um, so grade five, module four, We Are the Ship by Kadir Nelson. Um, that book blew me away when I first saw it because the illustrations are so rich and something yeah. that we, beautiful. do you feel that way too? Yeah, they're beautiful. <laughs> yeah. They're stunning. And um, so this is a book about the Negro Baseball League, which admittedly I knew nothing about before reading this book and looking at this module. So that was really neat to know about. And Kadir Nelson, um, these illustrations of players in the Negro Baseball League are larger than life on the page. And he has illustrated their, their faces with such detail. And so I really was, they all kind of came through with these heroes and, um, and I'm not going to lie, y'all, and I know I'm talking to people who are probably Orioles fans, but um, baseball is, <laughs> I'm like not the hugest, is, baseball is not a huge interest of mine, but after <laughs> reading this book, I was like, wow, it's so fascinating that these hitters got to this, you know, they got the score, I don't even know what you call it, like the batting average, maybe that's it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I just was super impressed by what they accomplished. And then the book ends with Jackie Robinson. And I had known that he was the first African-American player to play in the Major League Baseball League. And so I I felt like I now knew kind of the history behind Jackie Robinson. And um, I, I just learned so much. And it's such a beautifully illustrated book that the illustrations really build your understanding of the topic and the text. So I think everyone should read it. Yeah. I think that that book, if I remember correctly, um, isn't it oil paintings that then they have transferred into these vibrant, is it hmm, vibrant pictures? Ooh, I don't even know. I mean, they're, that, just, they're so incredible. I think I, I remember read. I remember googling it and reading about it more because I was so. I thought they were just so beautiful, and they it it supports the text so much more so than I think we can illustrate on a podcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm Googling now. This happens to me all the time with Wit and Wisdom. I get kind of, <laughs> I I'm like, oh, I need to know more about Kadir Nelson. We've got to build our, build our knowledge. Yeah. Build our knowledge. <laughs> I love it. So um, this just has me thinking. Um, the way you framed some things today, Sarah, really made me think of the way that Wit and Wisdom is structured, even each individual module, um, like we were talking about before, even if students come to this module with zero background knowledge on that topic, mm-hmm. we, you guys really built this so that they, you know, take it in little chunks, they build their knowledge so that they can then build to an even more difficult text to read. Um, my instinct for that means that, like, we want to try and stick to wit and wisdom as it is and not feel the need to, you know, teach all about World War One before they read All Quiet on the Western Front because, you know, you guys have already kind of built in what they need before they start reading it. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering a couple of things. One, what are your thoughts on that? Like as far as teachers that are teaching Wit and Wisdom, if they need to do anything else in order to help this building of knowledge? And then also what happens outside of the ELA classroom? Like what could happen during other parts of the school day or even outside of the school day that could really add to this knowledge build? Ooh, cool. So, yes, I <laughs> love it. Sorry. <laughs> no, I love it. It's a great question. Um, 
Yeah, something that um, we really were, we had the time and space to be really thoughtful about is this idea of um, students getting curious about a topic and building their knowledge and understanding of that topic over time. And so we really thoughtfully designed each module so that that discovery and that curiosity and that experience could happen. So, um, and I used to do this when I was teaching. I completely get it. You want your students to to understand right away every single piece. Um, but if a student can consider a really rich question and then read a text that gives a piece of that information and then read another novel that gives another piece of that information, they have a chance yeah. to build their answer to that over time. And we don't want to rob them of that, right? They get the, they, building that understanding and that answer, it's almost like going on a treasure hunt and going from clue to clue to clue. Like it feels so good when you get to that final, final treasure. We don't want to just fast track you there. So, um, yeah, I think it's so powerful to let students build their understanding over time. Um, and that's something we really thoughtfully designed so that they could discover that. Um, I, I will say one of the most exciting things ties to your other question about outside of the classroom. Um, the idea of we want, so we picked some, some topics that sometimes initially teachers were like, Really? Well, my kids want to read about the Middle Ages when they're in seventh uh, grade. <laughs> That's the same one I thought of when you said that. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, he I have heard that so many times. And I say, trust the process. Trust this. Because um, I was in a middle school, and these seventh graders who um, you might have thought, you know, had zero natural connection to the Middle Ages. Um, <laughs> They were actively debating this Castle Page's um, role in the medieval society, and they were debating whether he could actually go farther than his role or not, and they were making parallels to their own experience, like what is their role in society, and can they change that role or not? And so they were loving it and eating it up. Um, yeah. And some. Sometimes I think we need to expose our students to topics or books that maybe initially they don't know about, but it can activate this curiosity that um, they just need a chance to even know that they're curious about it. So, yeah. That's great. And then that ties to the outside of the classroom. Um, we hear all of these stories, and I've heard some from your teachers, actually, that students will get so curious about uh, written wisdom topic that they will go to a library or they will, when they go to a bookstore, they're like harassing their family to buy them a book that is about some element of that topic. And um, that's just really cool because that means that the student wants to learn all of the time. And that's our goal as educators. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love that. So I think you said, um, I mean, everything you said was really important and valuable, but two of the things I want to call out is are building knowledge over time, right? That little build, yeah. like little nuggets to get you to that treasure. Um, and just really letting kids try before yeah. we make the judgment as adults, you know, as to whether or not they can or cannot do. And I think it speaks to what Melissa and I were talking about before the call, which is that building knowledge is such a personal experience. And when, we, when, and I think that it also speaks to what you said about outside of the classroom, right? Like building knowledge is so personal that 
you know, exposing them to topics that we may never have thought that they would be interested in. Wow, they are. And not only that, mm-hmm. but then they want to run to the library mm-hmm. and and get a, a book about it, or they want to go onto YouTube and watch a video and just mm-hmm. consume, be consumers and learn more. So um, I, just, I just want to just call those points out as being so important and that that knowledge build is such a personal experience. And if it's okay to just interject a quick little story um, that Melissa and I had kind of uh, spoke about in order to just conceptualize this for our listeners. Is that okay with you, Sarah? Oh, my gosh, yes. I bet I'll learn from it. All right. I'm going to turn it over to Melissa because she is the expert reader in this one. or the I'm sorry, the (laughs) expert content uh, knowledge person (laughs) in this scenario. (laughs) Yeah, so Lori and I were trying to just make this a little more concrete for ourselves when we're thinking of this, um, this topic about building knowledge. And I said, you know, Lori and I, I think, are on similar reading levels. Um, but if you gave us a, an article about um, restorative yoga is the topic, um, I actually teach a restorative yoga class. <laughs> and so I think I would just eat that, that text up. You know, like I would probably understand nearly 100% of it, it would come easily, it would make so much sense to me, whereas Lori, who is an equally good reader, um, she would probably have to take her time reading it, she would have to figure out what some of the words meant, she would really have to, like, figure it out, whereas I would not have to, right, it would just make sense to me, and I would get it. Um, I've I've taken yoga, though, so let's put a little context, (laughs) I've taken some yoga, yeah, so she's even at an advantage because she has taken a yoga class where there might be someone who has never even stepped foot in a yoga class and they would struggle even more with that text. So we just thought like that is so, so huge that it really wouldn't matter how good of a reader we are, but it would matter, you know, what, what I'm bringing to it. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's kind of what we were talking about before. It's just like that personal context of like, you know, that I teach a yoga class would have so much impact on that. And, and who knows where our kids are coming from, what experiences they've had, what they've already learned about in school or read about or been to places with their parents or what they've done and what they haven't done is you just never know. Yeah. So personal. Yeah. So, so that said, um, if, if we could think about like a constituency, I love that. I love thinking about who's on, who's on our side as educators. Mm-hmm. Um, so how can community members, how can librarians, how can um, Amer- we have AmeriCorps folks in our schools, um, how yeah. can parents, <laughs> siblings, how, and Sarah, please feel free to weigh in, like how can these people who are surrounding our kids every day uh, supply us in the effort of building knowledge? Yes. Well, one thing that comes to mind, this is very specific in wit and wisdom, um, but we have this text list at the back of every module. It's called our volume of reading list. And um, I know that oftentimes libraries or parents are so committed to helping students learn. And we know that when students read a wide variety of books, Um, on a topic, they pick up the vocabulary about that topic. So again, 
I know nothing about baseball. I want to read Kadir Nelson's We Are the Ship. And then there's something about batting averages in there. And I need to then maybe do some research on my own or read another book about how is that even calculated? What is that? So much knowledge I need to build, right? So the more I can read about baseball, the more I'm going to know. So this volume of reading text list, these are all additional books that can be read outside of the classroom. I could totally see an after-school volunteer reading a book um, from that volume of reading list with students and asking questions. We actually provide volume of reading questions, and they're the same predictable structure that actually match the way that students are asked questions about reading in Whitman Wisdom. So students will know how to reply. And what's fundamentally so cool is that when the student can say, and did you know this, this, and this, because they're becoming experts on these topics. And um, oftentimes families and tutors learn something from students. So mm -hmm. that's one idea that comes to mind, volume of reading. That's a great point. Thank you. Um, that's awesome. I also so, know. Go ahead, go. Well, I'd love to highlight to some really good work that I know you all are doing, but um, some of the fabulous leaders that I've talked to are designing field trips for students around the modules. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, for example, um, grade K, module two, Once Upon a Farm, um, all about farm animals and, and growing things. And maybe you don't have a farm near you, but what if you had a garden down the street that you could take kindergartners to and they could see a real-life example of food growing, you know, and why that's important. Um, so thinking about local opportunities to kind of highlight in real life what yeah. some concept in a module could be neat. Yeah. yeah. Sarah, I just found out that um, our science center, every Friday night, they have free stargazing uh -huh. for families. And I just oh had, like, God. this moment of, like, oh, my God, that outer space unit is <laughs> free. Like, we need to make sure yes. our parents know. Yes. <laughs> it's completely free. And, like, how yes. amazing is that? <laughs> yes. And think about, I mean, this is totally, this would be true for me. I don't know very much about outer space, but imagine how cool it would be if the third grader can yeah. share yeah. with their family, <laughs> like, this is what you're seeing, you know? They can become the expert. Yeah. Then it's the power of everybody building knowledge yep. together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. That's so cool. Yeah. I love it. So thank you for that. And um, Sarah, we just want to think about if there, if you had 30 seconds with a, a new Witten Wisdom teacher and mm. he or she was like, tell me something about building knowledge. Why is this important? Whisper in my ear. What yep. would you say? Leave them with a good message. Yep. Um, I would say trust the process. Um, trust the process that if you follow along in these lessons that we've outlined in Wit and Wisdom and let your students build their knowledge. So don't give them too much beforehand. Let the students discover the knowledge in the text and see how it all fits together that you will be amazed at what students can say and do. And we hear that so much across the country that students blow teachers and families away with what they can say and do. So trust the process. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. 
Yeah, thank you so much, Sarah. We really appreciate you taking your time to share everything with us today. It was so much good stuff in such a short time. We'll have to have you back it. again. Yes. Thank you. Thank you all where, for all your things. Oh my gosh, you're welcome. And where can we find where can we find you? Where can we contact um, Wit and Wisdom? Like, is there a social, any social media sites? We know that there are, but we're just prompting you because we want you to tell yep. us. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, um, first of all, I always want to hear stories from the classroom. Um, I would love to share. I actually heard a story from one of your kindergarten teachers that I just love. Um, so, I love anecdotes like this, and um, I would the the grade K teacher who I had a chance to speak with. She was talking about how her students were reading the Three Billy Goats Graph and other books in the Once Upon a Farm module, and her students were writing stories. And one of her students, um, the problem was that this character needed to trap an animal, and so the the solution to that was that he hung a turkey leg in a cage, and that attracted oh this animal. It was so cute. Um, and this is a kindergartner who's still learning how to read, learning how books work, but he's got a good idea about using the turkey leg. Um, so <laughs> those, those stories are so great. And um, I would love for anyone who's listening to share those on our social media. So we yeah. are on Twitter, Wit and Wisdom ELA. We are on Facebook, Wit and Wisdom um, English. And then we also have blogs and we do webinars, and we are always eager to have voices come and join those from the field. So if you navigate to greatminds.org and look on the English section, you will see webinars and case studies and blogs if you're curious about what other people are doing. But I will just say I love getting emails. And so if anyone would like to email me, I'm Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, period, Woodard, W-O-O-D-A-R-D, at greatminds.org. And I want to see your pictures and hear your stories and see your student work. So please feel free to share. Thank you. And is it okay with you if we uh, include all of that information in our podcast summary, like links and, and every all that good stuff? Please, yes. Awesome. We will do that. Excellent. Thank you so much again. Thank you. You guys are awesome. I love it. Thanks, Thanks for Sarah. doing that. You're welcome. Right. Have an awesome afternoon. Yes, you too. Talk to you soon. All right.